Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Can Bible prophecy give us insight into where our world is headed in the future? Okay, that's the question that we're, we're seeking to find an answer to. Can Bible prophecy give us insight into where our world is headed in the future? And we're going to go to page 103 or Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. And we're going to start with table number 1. And can someone from table number 1 read that verse for us, please? Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Forty-six, nine, and ten. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. And I will do all my pleasure. Okay. Thank you. All right. So based on that verse that we just read, can Bible prophecy give us insight into where our world is headed in the future? Yes or no? Yes. How do you know? Where's, where does prophecy come from? Are you guys awake this evening? <laughs> Where does prophecy come from? From God, right? And so God knows what? The end from the beginning, does He not? And so when God knows the end from the, the beginning, this is why I love God so much. God does not say, hey, I know it all, and so good for me, ha, ha, ha. You know, He actually wants to do what? He wants to reveal the foreknowledge that he has for our benefit. Isn't that wonderful? That's one of the benefits of following God and serving a loving and true God because he's the one that actually gives us the insight, prophetic insight of what to expect in the future, right? So check this out. In verse 9, it says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. What does God do? I tell you of them, right? I tell you of them. So God says, before things come to pass, before I declare them, I tell you of them. So God is actually in the business of letting us know the future so that we can be prepared for what's to come and act accordingly. Amen? And so when we look at the world through God's lens, when we begin to understand things from His perspective and are able to process the events of this world in a new light, it allows us to make sense of the chaos and place every piece in its proper context. Bible prophecy reveals that we can have confidence in God and His promise to guide us through the world safely when we allow Him to direct our paths. And when we put our trust in Him, we can be sure that our lives will have a source of peace and rest that only the Prince of Peace can give us. 
If you are in agreement with that, say amen. 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 So fulfilled Bible prophecy verifies the truthfulness of God's word and gives us the confidence that the future is indeed in his hands. Right? So when we see prophecy being fulfilled, it gives more credibility to the word of God that we can believe it and take heed to it and embrace it. Amen? Number two. And table number two. We'll read the next verse. Uh, who is Bible prophecy about? And what, does, and what does it say about those who read it? Okay? So who is Bible prophecy about, and what does it say about those who read it? We're going to go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. If you don't know where that is, you can turn to page 1174. 1174 will lead you to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And we're going to have table number 2, someone from there to read that for us. Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 3. The question is, who is Bible prophecy about? And what does it say about those who read it? And Patricia, would you mind reading that for us? Amen. All right, so based on Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 3, which Patricia did a great job reading, who is Bible prophecy about? Let's start with that question first. Who is Bible prophecy about? Jesus, right? The revelation of Jesus, right? So Bible prophecy should reveal Jesus as the center, right? It reveals him in every aspect of his relation to us, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and also, more importantly, what is he doing for us right now? And we're going to be talking about that in a later uh, session, about what is Jesus doing right now? Many people don't know the answer to that question. What is Jesus doing right now at this very moment as we're meeting? Right? And we're going to cover that soon. But the prophecy reveals all these things to us. And also... Uh, revelation helps us to understand the symbols and prophecies and you know it's important to know those things right but it is more important to know the author of the prophecies which is, which is Jesus himself right we, we, we don't want to just get br uh, uh, our brains filled with good knowledge that is just mere information but we want to have an experiential knowledge of what it means to have Jesus in our lives and how he changes our lives and so the Bible here in Revelation 1 pronounces a blessing. Did you see that? What blessing does it, pro what blessing does it pronounce? To those who read. You guys, have, you guys are reading the book of Revelation. Heed and keep the things in the book of Revelation. What blessing? I just spoiled it. <laughs> we receive a blessing from that, do we not? So I believe you are all receiving a blessing just by being here tonight. Did you know that? You're receiving a blessing just by being here tonight. And I want to encourage you to keep coming and studying this in this series, and you don't want to miss a single blessing that the Lord has in store for you. Amen? Amen. So, the text also tells us that the time is near. The book of Revelation was written more than 
1,900 years ago. And if the time was near then, back in John's time when he penned those words, how much more is it near today in 2019? Hmm. In fact, as we will see in our series, many of the prophecies of the Bible and the book of Revelation have already happened or are happening even now. And though we see the fulfillment of prophecy all around us, God's promise, as He encourages us, is to not be afraid of what lies ahead or what is in your life today. We see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Can we have... Table 3, read that for us. Revelation 1, verse 17. Let's gain a blessing and continue reading from this book. That's right. So Jesus is saying that He will have the first and the last words of prophecy and He could do the same for our life as well if you'll let Him. So even though there are troubling things in the world around us, we don't have to be troubled by them. Why? Because Jesus promises His peace for you today and every day. He, promise, he promises that he's coming back to this world very soon. Question number three. What are we not instructed to do regarding Bible prophecy and the book of Revelation? So notice the word not. Okay, What are we not instructed to do regarding Bible prophecy and the book of Revelation? Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. That's going to be page 1190. Revelation 22, verse 10. Page 1190, we are now at table number 5, because 4 is empty. Okay, so Revelation 22, verse 10. What are we instructed not to do regarding Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation? Table number 5. Okay, so page 1190. Okay, for those who... Uh, Need to get there quick. <laughs> and he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Ah, okay. So what are we not to do? We are not to seal the book. What does it mean to seal a book? It means to close it. That's right. To close that book, right? To shut it up, right? Have you ever heard people say, oh, the book of Revelation is a sealed book. Nobody can understand it. Don't even try reading it. Have you heard people say that? I have. But is that according to what the Bible says? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, do not shut it up. Do not seal it. Right? It is a book that is very relevant for us. We are to read it and understand it. Right? So we don't want to disregard the words of prophecy. Revelation, the very word revelation means what? A revealing, a revelation, right? Unfolding. Um, and it folds Jesus Christ and the mysteries of prophecy in a way like no other book does. And we know that God wants us to understand it and it impacts our world today and it has relevance for our personal lives. You know, almost every prophecy in Scripture, do you know what they have in common? Every prophecy in Scripture climaxes to one awesome, spectacular event. And that event is what? Jesus is coming. That's right. Everything culminates to that event. Right? The end of everything is at that event when Jesus comes. All prophecy is pointing towards that one focal point. Right? There's nothing more than God. There's nothing more that God wants for us than to free us 
from the brokenness of this world so that we could spend eternity with him. And this is good news for you and I tonight. What are the difficulties in your life today, brothers and sisters? Have you found that doing things your own way has led to disappointment and discouragement? Would you be willing to let God be in control of your life and see how he could carry you through during the darkest moments of your life? If we yield to him, if we accept him and his ways as our ways, you will find a new source of power and strength that no empty pleasure in this life can match. You know, when I used to be in the world, I was definitely steeped into going to the dance clubs every night. (laughs) Or is it the karaoke clubs? Whenever something was happening, I would just go out and try to find entertainment just to appease myself. And I thought that that's what life was all about. But every time I came home after each of those evenings of going out and seeking pleasure, I came home and I found in the quietness and stillness of my room, emptiness. There was no real satisfaction in my life. Something was missing. And little did I realize that it was Jesus. He's the only one that could satisfy my soul and anyone's soul. And that's what I figured out. And I know that he can do the same for you as well. He can satisfy you like nothing else can. And so Revelation chapter 22 verse 7 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Right? So Jesus is saying he is what? He's going to come? How? Quickly. Right? Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So to keep means to take heed to and to follow, right? Question number four. What other book does Jesus refer to as an end-time prophetic book that we should study? Now, we're talking about Jesus on prophecy. Who is a better expert on prophecy than Jesus, right? So, what other book does Jesus refer to as an end-time prophetic book that we should, we ought to, study? And we're going to take a look at the book of Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15 is going to be page 960 in your Bibles. 960 will lead you to Matthew 24, verse 15. And I believe we're now at table number 6. Is that right? Table number 6. We'll read someone from that table. Matthew 24, 15, page 960. And we're going to see what other book does Jesus refer to as end-time prophetic book that we should study. Right? So Jesus is actually giving us something that we need to take heed to here. Matthew 24, 15. Okay. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Wow. So notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually, if you know Matthew 24, we talked about it last night, it's all about prophecies of the end time, Right? But notice what Jesus says. He's talking about the abomination of desolation. We'll talk about that later. That's a big thing too. What is the abomination of desolation? You guys got to tune in for that. But he's talking in reference to this event about the abomination of desolation. Jesus says, spoken of by who? Daniel. Right? And also it says, whoever reads, let him understand. So notice now, what book is Jesus quoting from? He's quoting from Daniel. And Jesus refers to Daniel as a what? 
end time book, a book of prophecy, right? And also, Jesus is endorsing that book. He's saying, if we read it, we will understand it. And brothers and sisters, if Jesus endorses something, I'm going to take heed to it. What do you say? Yeah. Amen. So he's saying, we need to read the book of Daniel. We need to understand what this abomination, desolation, and all the other stuff is that's going to come, because Daniel is a prophetic book. And so we see that Daniel and Revelation, those two books are like twin brothers in the Bible. Right? If you study Daniel and Revelation together, you're going to get a rich source of understanding, of prophecy. Right? So... Understanding Daniel is a key to understanding Revelation. You know, many people don't realize this, but many of the books of the Old Testament contain just as many end-time prophecies as the book of Revelation. And, in fact, some of the prophecies in the, in the Old Testament books have still yet to be fulfilled. You know, some people think that Old Testament is like, you know, it's like an old dispensation. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But that is not true. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by God and is, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? So that's all scripture, right? Not just New Testament, not just Old Testament, but all, right? So the books of Daniel and Revelation both contain many of the same prophecies and a key to understanding Revelation. We need to un also understand Daniel. And many of the symbols and mysteries of Revelation can be easily unlocked by the keys in Daniel. And tonight, I'm going to go over a very important key tonight. And if you understand this key tonight, you're going to actually have that key that will now unlock all the prophecies in the Bible. Does that sound good? So you're going to know that key by the end of tonight. I guarantee it. All right? So what is that key? Well, before we go into that, about two-thirds of the verses in the book of Revelation contain quotes from the Old Testament. Friends, if we study the Old Testament along with the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of cross-references there. And to understand Revelation, you need to understand the Old Testament as well. Right? The Old Testament is the foundation to help us to understand uh, prophecy like the book of Revelation. Right? So we don't want to just be Old Testament Christians or New Testament Christians, but we want to be Bible Christians, right? <laughs> amen. I only heard one amen, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pretend that all of you guys agree with me because you guys are so, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking. The book of Daniel, let's go to the book of Daniel, the book that Jesus recommends us to study for end time prophecy. We see that there's going to be a prophecy tonight that is going to be the key that's going to unlock all other prophecies. If you understand this prophecy, you're going to understand them all, right? If you follow that key, if you follow that pattern. And the prophecy that we're going to study tonight has turned many atheists into believers. It has given Christians hope through the ages. So let's, tur let's, let's turn to this book and see what God has in store for us tonight as we study this book. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2. Okay, so Daniel chapter 2. And, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's on page 856, if you can't find it in your Bibles, uh, 856, Daniel chapter 2. It all starts with an ancient king who prepares to go to bed one night, and he goes to sleep, he drifts off to sleep, and um, this king was named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And while he slept in his royal bed, he woke up in a cold sweat. His eyes were wide, and, and, and he, was, he was very distraught by what he experienced. He just had a dream, 
and, it was, and he knew that this dream had profound significance. But he could not remember the dream. And so this troubled him greatly. And we see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, I'm just going to summarize this for the sake of time, but you can go home and read it later on tonight. Um, but we see that Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, he wakes up, in a cold sweat, and he calls and summons all his wise men and astrologers and magicians, all the people that are on his payroll, all these people who have somehow a connection to the supernatural. And he calls them into his bedchamber, and he says, I just had a dream, and, and I know it is so important, it is so profoundly significant, but I cannot remember what the dream is, and I want you to tell me what that dream is. And so all these wise men and astrologers, I can imagine they, they just got summoned in the middle of the night. They're rubbing their eyes. Oh, yes, king, what do you want? Okay, you want us to tell you the interpretation of the dream? Well, just, just tell us your dream and we'll give you interpretation. And they're still wiping the sleep out of their eyes. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, you don't understand. I cannot remember the dream. So tell me what the dream is. And the wise men look at each other and they're like, oh, well, <laughs> king, you have to tell us what the dream is so that we can give you an interpretation. And the king says, I cannot tell you what the dream is. That's the problem. You, you need to tell me what the dream is and tell me what it means. And the wise men are now starting to realize that now this is getting serious. The king is getting a little more uh, anxious. And they said, king, <laughs> like we said, just tell us what your dream is and we will give you the interpretation. And the king says, if you cannot tell me my dream, I'm going to have you all killed. I'm going to destroy your home so that they'll just be a dunghill. Unless, but if you tell me what the dream is, I will reward you greatly and I'll promote you. So tell me what it is. And now, the sleep has all escaped from the wise men's eyes as they now see the ultimatum that the king has brought forth. And now they're shaking. They're like, oh, king, there's, there's not a person in the world that can answer, that, that can do what you're asking us to do. And verse 10, it says, the Chaldeans answered the king, saying, there's not a man on earth who could tell the king's matter. There's no king, no lord or ruler who has ever asked for such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. And so they admit it. They admit, these men who, who supposedly have insight with the supernatural realms in this moment where the king desperately needs to know what this dream is, they cannot do anything. They admit it. They said, there's not a man on earth that can do what you're asking for, king. And so the king, how does he react? Verse 12 and 13. For this reason, the king was very angry and furious and gave the command to do what? to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. What good are you guys to me then? If you cannot do what I'm asking you to do, I'm just going to eradicate you all. Wow. So he got upset. He made a decree, all the wise men to be killed. And they began killing wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel and his companions were among these wise men that were under this death decree. And we see that what happens? The story could end right there. And that could be the end of Daniel and his friends. But what happens in Daniel chapter 2, verse 14 and 16? Let's have somebody read that for us in table number 7. Can we read verse 14 through 16? 
So apparently, the king had a little time to cool off, and Daniel comes before the king and says, King, what does he ask him? He says, just give me more time. You know, obviously, this is very important to you, but I'll, I, I'll see what I can do to find the answer. Just give me more time. Does the king grant him the request? He does. He does. And so Daniel was given a little more time as granted by the king. And Daniel springs into action. And what does Daniel do in verse 17? Let's have the next table read. Table 8. What does Daniel do in verse 17? All right. 17, yes. Oh, so notice what does Daniel do? The first thing that Daniel does is what? He gets together with his trusted friends, God-fearing friends. It's good to have God-fearing friends, amen? Yeah, you, wanna, you also want to be making right associations with good people, not bad people. And so Daniel had a good group of friends that he can trust in, and he brought them together, and they had an emergency prayer meeting right then and there to seek wisdom from the one who is full of wisdom. The one who knows the past, the present, the future, the great revealer of secrets. And Daniel was wise to appeal to God to help under these circumstances. Daniel did not admit that he had any wisdom in, in, in himself, but he went to God. Notice he didn't go to the Babylonian library with his friends to do a long night of, you know, trying to find out what the dream was. You know, he didn't go to the Babylonian uh, library or the computer where they had a Babylonian Google back then, <laughs> trying to find out, you know, dreams, making sense of dreams. <laughs> you know, he didn't do any of that, right? They went straight to God. And we see that in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17, what happened? It says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The secret was revealed to Daniel when? In a night vision. What's a night vision? It's a dream. Now get this. <laughs> if you knew that a death decree is looming over your head the very next day, and it all depended upon you giving the answer to the king or not, would you be able to sleep? <laughs> you know, would you be able to be able to sleep peacefully? <laughs> but yet Daniel slept. So that tells you the character of Daniel. Daniel had implicit faith in God. He had implicit faith in God. And they prayed to God. They depended on God to reveal that dream to him. And they went to sleep. And when he slept, God revealed the, 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 the secret to him in a night vision. So we see, in the same way, does God answer his prayer for us as well? When we pray, does God answer our prayers? How many of you have ever had God answer a prayer for you? Amen. So you all believe that, right? 
Absolutely, and God still does that. We see that in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you for anyone who asks, what? Receives. He who seeks, what? Finds. He who knocks, it'll be open. Right? That's a Bible promise that you could claim. Right? And verse 11, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So Daniel's granted request is evidence that God is listening to us today. When we ask for forgiveness for our sins, for God to increase our faith, or for God to change our hearts, we can believe that God hears those prayers and that he will answer those prayers. And when we trust in the promises of his word, his word has the power to accomplish those things in our lives that he says he can do. And so, why not start looking to God and taking hold to his promises today? Amen? So, we see that Daniel was a man of prayer. Incredible man of prayer. There's nothing that could stop him from enjoying that sweet communion with God, not even the threat of death. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we see that Jesus was in the same way very dependent upon the Father. Jesus would spend long hours throughout the night praying without even sleeping. He would spend uh, times praying and fasting, and he was always connected to his Father. He'd rise up early in the morning, and his disciples would also see him praying. They'd say, oh, Lord, teach us how you pray. You know, they were, they were so uh, impressed about his prayer life. And, you know, when we pray and we learn to have that uh, entire dependence upon God, there's no limit to what God can do for us. Amen? Well, back to the story. Daniel 2, verse 26. Uh, let's have next table, table number 9. Can someone read verse 26 and verse 27? Okay, Daniel 2, 26 and 27. Someone from table number 9. All right, just anyone. Daniel 2, 26 and 27. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in this interpretation? Okay. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Okay. And... Continue. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. Okay. So can you read that one too? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a God in heaven. Okay. Verse 20. But there is a God in heaven. Reveal secrets, and he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who will be in the later days, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed. Thank you so much for reading that. Awesome. So we see that. What does King Nebuchadnezzar ask? He says, "Can you tell me what my dream is?" He's kind of skeptical. Here's this young, uh, entry-level wise man coming before him, and he's like, not. He's skeptical. Can you tell me, can you really tell, I gave you the time you asked for, can you really tell me what the, the dream is? 
right? And Daniel says, there's not a man. And what, what is Daniel doing? He's actually mentioning the soothsayers, the astrologers, the magicians. They couldn't, answer, they couldn't deliver what you asked for, king. No man can. And what is Daniel doing? Daniel's trying to set it up so that he sees who can, right? So the focus will be on who? God, not him. He doesn't say, oh, yes, king. I know, I could tell you. Daniel didn't say that. Daniel said, there's one person that can reveal. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the what? Latter days. What's the latter days? What does the word latter mean? If I say to you that my birthday is on the uh, first day of the month and my wife's birthday is on the latter part of the month, what would that be, mean? Last. La last, right? N near the end of the month, right? So when it's saying the latter days, what is that talking about? The end times, right? The times that are just before Jesus comes, right? So, the, so this dream is not a good bedtime story for us, but this dream also has significance to our time. So as we study this out, we're going to see how this is relevant to you and me living in Earth's history at this time, right? And so we're, it's very important for us to know what this ancient dream is going to uh, reveal. You know, no matter who you are, whether you're a king or a peasant, rich or poor, atheist or Christian, every person in time have asked these four questions in their existence. How did I get here? What is my purpose while I am here? How should I live my life while I am here? And where am I going when I die? You know, a lot of people struggle with these questions and they cannot find the answers. The only way that they can find the answers is from the Word of God, from God Himself. God Himself gives very clear answers to these questions. Right? Science, though we believe in science, atheism, philosophy, and man-made religion cannot answer these questions. Only the God that created you can reveal this truth to you. The Bible is the only book on earth that can provide satisfactory answers to these questions. So are you ready to find out what the king's dream is all about? I hope so, because this is a dream like no other. In this dream God, that God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, we're going to find that God outlines 2,500 years of Earth's history. History that covers from the time of Daniel all the way down to our day, to the end of the world, and to the coming of Jesus. So ready or not, here it comes. Let's see what this king's dream is all about. So... Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. I did not hear anyone from table number 9 <laughs> reading a verse, so we're going to come back to them. So we want uh, everyone to uh, gain a blessing from reading uh, the book of Daniel. So can we have someone read from verse 31? Mm-hmm. And uh, let's have the next table. Thank you for reading that. So what, what did Daniel see in this dream? What did King Nebuchadnezzar see in this dream? What's the object? A great towering image, right? 
And so it gives more detail in verse 33, 32 and 33. Let's have the next table read. T table 10. Okay, and uh, why don't you read verse 34, Shannon, as well? And verse 35. <laughs> You're doing so well. Keep going. <laughs> Let's just kind of summarize what this dream was. This is the dream, right? There's a big towering image. What did the image look like? What did it look like? Head of gold. Chest and arms of silver. Belly and thighs of bronze. Legs of iron. Feet of iron and clay, right? So this is the image. And what was the other object that came on the scene later on? Out of the sky, there was a stone that smote the image and destroyed it, right? So that's the dream. Okay, now question number five. Daniel gave the dream, but what is the interpretation of this dream? Okay, so what does this dream mean? Right, we know what it is, but what is the interpretation now? Now, before we interpret something, some people might say, oh, have you ever had people say this to you? That's your interpretation, you know, that's your interpretation of the Bible. You just kind of think that way because that's how you interpret it, but that's not how I interpret it. Is there a right way to interpret the Bible? You know, that, that's a question that we really need to get to the bottom of. Is it due to one person's subjective uh, take on what the Bible says, or is it a, a clear-cut rule on how we can interpret the Bible correctly? Well, let's let the Bible give us the answer. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, because I want to say this first, because if I don't say this first, people say, oh, that's just your interpretation, Pastor Brian. But let's let, let's let the Bible speak, and let's make sure that we're following that right line of interpretation, all right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. What table are we on now? It was 9, 10, 11, right? Where's 11? Table 11, okay. I see some people there, some good people there. Table 11. Can someone read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21? All right, and so it's page 1166. I'm sorry, I should have told you the page number. 1166 in your Bibles. If you look it up, 1166 leads to 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Okay, and if someone from table 11 can read that for us. Okay, 11.66. All right. Do we have a volunteer in table number 11? Ben, awesome. Yeah, 20 and 21. Yes, sir. I think that's 1 Peter. 
you want to go to Second Peter. <laughs> That's a good text too, <laughs> but not the text we're looking at today. That's okay. Second Peter one twenty and twenty one. Ah, so the Bible tells us that there is no private what? Interpretation. It's not like, this is how I see it, this is my interpretation, that's how you see it, that's your interpretation. The Bible says there's no private interpretation when it comes to Scripture, right? Because what is the right way to interpret the Bible? What is the correct interpretation? It's the one that the Holy Spirit or God provides. Did you catch that? Right? So irregardless of the truth of what we think or we believe and grew up and consider is truth, the truth is still the truth, is it not? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no such thing as multiple truths. We're kind of living in a time where there people are, are living in a, in a time of relativism where they say, oh, that's your truth. But that's not my truth. Right? But is there truth? There's truth. There should be truth. Truth is the truth. And there's not multiple truths. There's only one truth. And that truth is the truth of Jesus Christ as revealed in his word. The Bible interprets itself. It's not closed, as many suppose. It's not a mystery that only a few people can understand. The prophecies of the Bible are open to all, and there's no secrets. And you don't have to seek out some religious guru to explain them to you. We see that anyone who has a sincere heart that comes to the investigation of God's word and will be led by the Holy Spirit to the right interpretation of prophecy can find the right interpretation as they seek it from God. Because the Bible tells us in order for us to know the Bible, we need to be spiritually discerned. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The more we study about Jesus, our lives become more like him, and also he will guide us and send the Holy Spirit to speak truth for us. It says the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth, right? And the spirit is who? Is the very same agent that pens scripture, right? What better person to go to to understand the true meaning of God's word, right? As holy men of God, we're moved by the Holy Spirit to pen the words of scripture that you have in your hands right now. It is the same Holy Spirit that can help us to understand the right interpretation just as God gave Daniel the right interpretation to that dream. He could do the same for you. So we need to come to the Bible. This is what I do. Every time I study the Bible, I do not come with my, okay, I'm going to find something that will prove my point. If you study the Bible that way, you're, not, you're using your own private interpretation. If you come to the Bible humbly, and this is what I do, I always pray and say, Lord, teach me. I'm a humble teacher. I'm, I'm a humble student. You are the teacher. And I open the word of God always praying that prayer because I know that I can't understand the word of God. It is only through the Holy Spirit that he allows me to understand those things. And we have to let go of our presuppositions and our, our past knowledge or, or what we think we believe and allow our minds to grasp the truth as God wants to reveal it to us. And so here's what Daniel says as he's getting into the interpretation. Now this gets to the good part. Okay, let's read verse 36, table number 
12? Okay. All right. So this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it, right? We see that Daniel's now going to give the interpretation. We see, let's quickly review what Daniel said. There was an image that had a head of what? Gold, right? It had chest and arms of silver, right? So as we're going down below that, you see a belly and thighs of what? Bronze or brass. Legs of what? Iron. And when you go to the very bottom of that image, right, you'll see what? Feet and toes, part of what? Iron and clay. And then what happens next? A stone that destroys the image. A stone comes down and smashes that image. Boom! Right? And what does that stone become? That stone grows and becomes a great mountain. Right? And so what is this interpretation? What does this mean? You know, did you know that in, in, just, a, in, in just mere 150 words, God just outlines 2,500 years of Earth's history in this one dream? It's gripping. It's intriguing. And can you imagine what was going in the mind of Nebuchadnezzar as Daniel finished those few final words in the dream? And all the different parts of the dream flash back into King Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And now he's like illuminated with all the things that he, he saw before. He's like, yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what I, what I dreamed. And, 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 and now Daniel, he's on the edge of his seat, hanging on Daniel's every word as Daniel's now going to reveal the interpretation. And we are hanging on the edge of our seats as we're going to see what this interpretation is going to be about. We see that this image like I said, holds a key that unlocks many of the mysteries of Daniel and Revelation. If you understand this key, you will be able to unlock all the other prophecies in the book of Daniel and Revelation. A correct understanding of this image is imperative, as everything else in the books of prophecy work within the larger framework of this prophecy found in Daniel 2. So Daniel moves on to the interpretation in verse 37. Can we have someone read verse 37? Now we're getting to the Interpretation, the good stuff. Okay, uh, number, th it was table 12, table 13. Do we have table 13? Is nobody there on table 13? Table 14, all the way back there. Can someone read verse 37? You, O God, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Okay, and read verse 38 too, please. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made your ruler over them all. You are, all, you are this head of God. Oh, okay. Very good. So we see that Daniel now goes to the focus of what? What is he focusing on in this image? He's focusing on the head. The head of what? Gold. And what does he say about the head of gold? He says, King, you are this head of gold. So I'm sure that King Nebuchadnezzar was like, ha, ha, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, he, 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 was, he was very happy. He was like, that's good news to him. You know, God made you this head of gold. Yes, that's right. And so he's very impressed about that. That's the good news. But Daniel says, but king, there's bad news. What? 
What's the bad news? We read verse 39. Can we have someone read verse 39 of Daniel 2, verse 39? What's the bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar? Okay, go ahead. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another and a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. Aha. Okay, so we say that Daniel says, Yes, king, you are the head of gold, but there is going to be what? Another kingdom. Inferior to yours that's going to come on the scene. And King Nebuchadnezzar, his face drops. What? Because he thought that his kingdom was going to last forever. Right? But he says, but the vision tells us that another kingdom is going to come and it's going to be inferior to yours and that's going to be the next world power after Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, what? He didn't expect that. He didn't see that coming. Right? But then as he continues, verse 40. Uh, Linda, why don't you read verse 40? Mm-hmm. Right. So we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is told, you are this head of gold. We see that definitely gold was a fitting description of Babylon. There's gold everywhere in that city. It was a very prosperous kingdom. Uh, few kingdoms in history could rival Babylon. It was the most wealthy, magnificent empires that ever existed. Historians are still in awe of its greatness. Gold was used like gravel today. And much of the empire glittered in the sun from all the gold that overlaid various buildings. But notice what has been said about this golden kingdom by uh, some historical scholars. Uh, they said Babylon was teeming with gold. It's estimated that the altar and the throne of Babylon were made from eight and a half tons of solid gold. Wow. And Herodias is quoted as having said that there was a lavishness of gold in the sanctuary of Bel Marduk, which was the god, the primary god that the Babylonians worshipped. Right? And if you also remember in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar creates this massive image, his version of the image, of all gold. <laughs> right? And so they had a lot of gold. And in fact, in Daniel chapter 1, we see that um, when Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, uh, he went there and he uh, ransacked the temple and everything that Jerusalem had because they had gold there. And so uh, they wanted that gold. So it totally made sense that God would use gold as a fitting description of Babylon. Right? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was one of the great seven wonders of the world. And people from all over the place came to see its beauty. And you know, Babylon was not only rich, but it was well fortified. Historical records found that Nebuchadnezzar's plan was for this kingdom to be around for a long, long time. And uh, one of the cuneiform tablets told the story of Nebuchadnezzar's thirst for an eternal dynasty. And this is what he says. The fortifications of Babylon I strengthened and established the name of my reign, what? Forever. He expected it to last forever. And we see... It goes on to say, the whole earth was prostrate at Babylon's feet. Babylon, the city which was the delight of my eyes, which I have glorified, may it last forever. And that was actually from King Nebuchadnezzar himself, the very person we're studying about right now and his dream. So Babylon is this head of gold. And they lasted from 605 to 539 B.C. And so that was the first ruling world kingdom in Daniel's prophetic timeline. 
And Daniel says, you're this head of gold, king. And Babylon ruled from 605 to 539, but it did not last forever. And we see that Daniel knew that this was not the end of the prophecy, because it goes on to say, after you shall rise another kingdom, the chest and arms of silver. Right? What nation would follow the Babylonian Empire? Well, we see it's none other than Medo-Persia. Right? Bible reveals and history confirms that Medo-Persia would be the next ruling empire following Babylon. And if you look at history, it's very interesting how history confirms prophecy. This is pretty amazing. From on October 13, 539 BC, that was the night Babylon fell. Because we see that the Medes and Persians, led by King Cyrus, uh, besieged the city of Babylon. And the Babylonians thought it was a joke. They said, our walls are so impenetrable, nobody can get through. And you Persians are wasting your time camping out there. And here, here's some food. We'll throw some food out to you because you're camping out there. We'll, we'll help you out. <laughs> That's how they were taunting the Babylonians. But they didn't consider that um, that one night, as they were making a, a mockery of God and taking the holy vessels from the temple and, and toasting to their gods of silver and gold and making a total mockery and, and blasphemy, blasphemous act to the holy vessels, that the Medes and Persians determined a way to get in that night. And the Babylonians, as they were drunken and they were in that inebriated state, even the soldiers were not on duty because they thought that the walls were fortified enough. They were all under this stupor of drunkenness. And what, what they didn't realize outside was that the Medes and Persians found a way to get in. They diverted the river Euphrates because the river Euphrates flowed into the city of Babylon, you see. And so they said, we just need a channel that water away from the river Euphrates. And when they did that, the water level went down. And that's when all the soldiers, the, Mede and the Medes and Persians, went under the, the riverbank, under the walls of the city, and came up on the other side, and they got access into that city. And we see that Isaiah 45, verse 1, it talks about the man who led them in this attack. It was uh, the king of the Medes and Persians was Cyrus. And it's interesting that prophecy actually mentioned Cyrus by name before he was even born, that he would do this very thing, right? It says, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double door so that the gates will be shut, will not be shut. And, loose, and we see that this name, Cyrus was mentioned 180 years before he was born. And so this is pretty amazing that prophecy was given 180 years in advance to show who this general, who this king would be who would actually bring the downfall of Babylon, right? So Bible is no ordinary book. The Bible is definitely a God-inspired book. And the Cyrus Cylinder um, is... Uh, a piece of archaeology that actually talks about um, all the exploits that, he, that Cyrus did that matches exactly with, with what the Bible is saying. And so we see that history and archaeology is confirming the Bible, is confirming prophecy. And so we see that the Bible is a reliable book indeed. Then the third kingdom, kingdom of bronze, right? We see which kingdom comes after the Medes and Persians. Which kingdom comes and defeats the Medes and Persians? It's the kingdom of Greece, right? We see the Battle of Arbella took place in 331 BC. The Greeks defeated the Medes and Persians. And we see that 
you know what kind of armor that the Greeks had? They had a special kind of armor that was state-of-the-art back then. It was bronze or brass armor, right? Which is typifying this brass kingdom. And the Greeks quickly overpowered the Medes and Persians. They ruled from 331 to 168 BC, led by who? A very young general named Alexander the Great, right? Who led the Greek to dominate the world very rapidly. Only seven years, and they took over the whole known world, right? Unfortunately, though he could conquer the world in only seven years, he couldn't conquer the passions of his own heart, unfortunately. He died in his early 30s uh, due to drinking too much, right? Uh, alcohol poisoning is what did him in. And, um, and we see that there's, uh, there's that historical fact there. So moving on to number f uh, the, the fourth kingdom, the legs of iron is none other than Rome. Rome is the next empire that comes after uh, Greece. And once again, history tells us that uh, Greece was vanquished by the armies of Rome, and many historians refer to Rome as the Iron Kingdom, right? And the reason for that is because Rome had developed advanced battle techniques and war strategies enabling to crush their enemies with little difficulty. They were, they were brilliant tacticians and good at war strategy. But on top of that, they also mastered the art of iron weaponry. Did you know that? They, 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 had, they were able to make iron weapons, which had no chance against, uh, which, which wooden weapons of their enemies and, and other um, bronze swords and stuff like that could not uh, stand a chance against the iron swords that the, that the Romans had. Um, they, were, they were hardened, they were trained, they were equipped, they were the Roman elite. And so we see very clearly that iron just as it breaks and shatters everything into pieces, uh, that kingdom will do the same and crush all the others. And we see that this is the time of this kingdom where Jesus comes on the scene, right? Jesus comes to the earth um, and he spoke to Roman kings. He was beaten by Roman soldiers. He was nailed to a Roman cross with Roman nails. A Roman seal was placed upon his tomb, but this tomb could not hold him. And the Roman soldiers fell like dead men when the angel of God came to roll that stone away. And there's no king or empire that can defy the prophecies that God has spoken. And so we see that each of these empires that were predicted years before they came into power took place, just as Daniel said. Right? And so we see that um, there... But God didn't say that there would be another kingdom coming after the emperors of Rome. And this is where things get to get very exciting. What would happen next in the prophetic timeline? We see Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. What comes next? And we see the feet of iron and clay, right? It's divided. Can iron and clay mix? Are those two substances compatible? No, it's a very weird pairing, isn't it? Yeah, you would never think about mixing iron and clay together. It just doesn't seem compatible, doesn't mesh well. But it says that because of that, because of this strange pairing between these two substances, they shall be divided, right? The Bible says that this kingdom will be divided. That's exactly what happened in history. Rome did not get conquered by another nation. It actually started to fragment within itself. It started to break apart. It couldn't hold itself together, 
right? It imploded from the inside, and the, and the empire of Rome fell in the year 476 AD. You could check that in history books. And it crumbled from within, from corruption and betrayal. And this is really amazing that Daniel was spot on as he's interpreting all these things and what would happen. He, he, only God was revealing the future. And friends, we can trust the Bible tonight, for sure. And you know, it's interesting. When Rome fell, do you know how many kingdoms it fell, it broke apart into? Ten. When you look at the image, when you get to the feet of, toe, of the toes, how many toes are there? Ten. Wow. I don't think that's coincidence. That's pretty amazing. And, and Rome broke into these 12 nations, right? And they were spread across what we know as modern Europe. Europe. Divided Europe. And during the and we see that what caused Rome to break apart? Because Rome couldn't hold itself because they were actually having internal strife within their own empire. There was these ten barbarian tribes that were wrecking havoc, and Rome could not keep themselves together, and it's starting to break apart because of these barbarian tribes. And get this, this is really exciting. <laughs> you know, the, the, here's the name of all the ten Barbarian tribes, Anglo-Saxons, Lombards, Burgundians, Visigoths, Franks, Suevi, Alamanni, Hurrilai, Vandals, and Ostrogoths. Okay, you may not know them by that name, but they're known to their equivalent today. The Anglo-Saxons are known as the English today, right? The Lombards are known as the Italians. The Burgundians are known as the Swiss. The Visigoths are known as the Spanish. Uh, Franks, French. Suevi, Portuguese. Alamanni, Germans. And Hurrilai, Vandals, and Ostrogoths are extinct. That's another prophecy for another time. That's pretty amazing how they got extinct. But we see that, that seven still remains today, to, to, the, to this day in what we know as Europe, which was once part of the Western Roman Empire before it fell. You know, it's interesting that Daniel's timeline extends past the ancient empires to our day in 2019. Right? The Bible is so amazing. <laughs> prophecy will blow your mind. This is what I'm saying. When I'm studying this prophecy, every time I go over it, it always solidifies my faith in the Word of God. Because this cannot be something that is coincidence, that everything lines up exactly according to God's timing. And these nations are still in existence today. We're living in the very bottom of this timeline, in the very toes. And our day is at the very end of this timeline. Question number six. What attempt to unify the nations of Europe does this prophecy mention? So this nation's fragmenting, you see? Ten parts. Did they ever try to come back together as one? Did they ever try to make it one again? Right? Let's take a look at Daniel 2, verse 43. What does the Bible tell us? And uh, I believe the table way back there. <laughs> the Clark family. Would you mind reading verse 43? Okay. Yes. All right. So what attempts did they try to bring the whole divided Europe back again to one? They said that they will try to mingle with the seed of men. They'll try to mingle with the seed of men. What does that mean? 
That means that there have been many attempts throughout history where all these different kingdoms, like uh, the, 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 Fran the Franks, the French, and all these other kingdoms, they tried to unify Europe through war, through mingling with the seed of men, through marriage, and some through religion or politics, right? But to no avail. But the word of God has remained true down through our day. They would not adhere one to another. They would not be united. We see that Napoleon tried to unite all of Europe. On paper, it was an easy victory, but this is really amazing. He was defeated, get this, he was defeated by a freak snowstorm in the middle of summer. Everything looked like he was going to win. And it was in the middle of summer, and all of a sudden a freak storm comes in, and he loses the battle. Is, is that coincidence? Or more likely, a fulfillment of prophecy? You know, his tomb stands today as a witness of the faithfulness of God's word. We see the kingdom shall be divided, the Bible tells us. Charlemagne tried to unite Europe. He failed. He was defeated. Charles V tried to unite Europe. He, he failed. He was defeated. Louis, uh, King Louis, he was defeated. Napoleon, Kaiser Wilhelm, Adolf, it's not Hitler. <laughs> it's Hitler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of Adolf Hitler? <laughs> That's the brother of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> All right. And they all failed. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, when God says something, it will come to pass. Amen. You know? When God says something, it will come to pass. You cannot thwart prophecy. All these men try to do the, what they thought was, was possible, but God, it, it, you can't thwart prophecy. Now, here's uh, what I want you to look at. Look at this image here. And you see that yellow line? Do you know what that yellow line represents? The yellow line on that image. So let's see if anyone can guess. What's that yellow line? Okay, here's the yellow line. You are correct. <laughs> uh, that line represents the approximate time that Daniel would have died. Right? So Daniel, after giving this vision, he lived through two kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, right? And the rest of the kingdoms, did they come as prophesied? Yes. With unerring accuracy, right? And we see that this is solid, concrete evidence, friends, that the existence of God and the trustworthiness of the Bible stands true today. And God alone knows the future. And if Jesus controls the rise and fall of world empires, can you trust him to guide the direction of your life? And so we see question number seven. We're winding down here. What next event would happen in the days of these kings? And what time period is this earth's timeline? We see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. For the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and go through this. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be what? destroyed. The Bible says that God will set up his kingdom and when is that time? The time of Babylon? The time of Medo-Persia? The time of Greece? The time of Rome? When? We are on the very cusp the toenails of the image where God is about to set his kingdom that will last forever. You know it's very interesting that um, in Revelation, 
It talks about a, a beast with ten horns, just like the image has ten toes, right? It says, ten kings who have no, received no kingdom yet, Revelation 17, 12 through 14, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And we'll talk about the beast later. Who is that beast? Power, right? And here's the significance of this prophecy. For a short time period, the nations of Europe and the rest of the world will come into a religious political confederation. What kind of confederation? Religious political confederation just before the coming of Jesus. And notice how Revelation describes this temporary unity. It says they are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast or the deceiving powers at the end of time. So here's a prediction that for one prophetic hour, a short time period, the nations of Europe will come together. And are there movements in Europe to be united today? Yeah. We see that the flag is a symbol of the common mark of Europe, the European Union. Many voices, one people, they claim, right? And they claim that the European Union is what brings Europe together, but they're anything but united, right? It's just like what prophecy says, that um, the feet, in, feet of iron and clay will not mix, right? R Europe was divided like the prophecy described it will be. And this is another fulfillment of prophecy, of this prophecy. Have you ever heard of Brexit? Brexit, right? That's when the UK, the United Kingdom, says, hey, we're going to break away from the European Union. We don't want to be a part of you guys, right? And they broke away. And they're trying to bring them back together again, but they're not. So even to this day, is Europe united? <laughs> that tells us that Daniel 2 is still being fulfilled right now in our very eyes. When we watch the news, we see it being fulfilled. And we see that they will make war with the Lamb, and who's going to win? The Lamb will overcome them. For he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. How many of you want to be called and chosen and faithful for that coming kingdom? Amen. Now the final climax. We cannot stop this presentation without the final climax of what happens here. How will God set up his kingdom that will cause the earthly kingdoms to crumble? And we see in Daniel 2, verse 34, you watched while a stone was cut out without what? Hands. This means that this is not a human devising. This kingdom comes from a supernatural design, which struck the image of feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall last and stand forever. That rock, brothers and sisters, is Jesus. We see that Jesus and God are often described as the rock of Scripture. And this rock is cut without human hands. No earthly devising is going to establish this kingdom. Only God himself. And friends, I pray that we can be ready for Jesus' return when he establishes that kingdom soon. And we see that Daniel said to the king, The dream is certain. And the interpretation is sure. Daniel's saying, without a doubt, this is true. It's going to come to pass, just as God said it will. And we see how all of those things have taken place in history. Do we believe that the next thing is going to happen just as it happened in the past? Yes. 
So this is the most important question I want to close with us tonight. How can we be ready for that final kingdom that Christ will establish when he comes? Who will, who will be ready for that? When we know that Christ has died for you, you can know that he loves you. He has a plan for your life. He gave his life so that you can have eternal life. And there's no greater love than the love he offers you tonight because his love is self-sacrificing. And you can know that Jesus is coming again to take you home. Don't let different ideas in the world out there sway you. The Bible speaks truth tonight and Jesus is appealing to you. He wants to give you a new life tonight for whatever life you have. And so I want to close with this question. In light of fulfilled Bible prophecy in our day, I choose to accept Christ, trust his word, and be ready for when Jesus comes. How many of you are willing to make that decision tonight in preparation for his coming kingdom? If so, would you raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be counted among your, in, in your kingdom when you come. Praise the Lord. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're going to close with a word of prayer as we end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing prophecy that shows us the timeline of history and where we are in the course of all history and how the next kingdom that is eminent to come is Jesus' kingdom that is to be established. And Lord, we know that that is coming soon. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll please secure us as citizens for your coming kingdom now. Come into our hearts, take our lives, and live out your life in us. This is what we pray for and ask for, and we claim your promises that you'll make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.